recording live from the Seahawks Nest Twitter Beef Battle Bunker. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. That's right, guys. We've got our first legitimate Twitter beef. Are you Not guys in our ready digital for this? house. Are you guys ready for this? We have been blocked by at field goals. And so I was like, okay, we've been blocked by at field goals. I'm going to go back. I'm going to search our feed for every time we mentioned field goals. So I'm just going to let you guys know. We called them, we said, the tireless aficionados of all things Seahawks at at field goals reporting these guys are all out for the Rams game. That's a compliment. We asked them a question once, <laughs> which is it's just like a legitimate question. Uh, we How agreed, dare we agreed you? with them that a call was bad. We agreed with them that one of the players was playing poorly, and we complimented them on their gifting skills. Literally, those are the five tweets that we tweeted about them. And you know what like it is? It. It's, it's they've seen that we've arrived. So you know what? You know what? <laughs> Field goals? As, as the immortal Sylvester Stallone would say, Kenneth Arthur, I'm coming to get you. And then I squeeze the microphone and like break it, right? That's how that works. Okay. And then um, I'm just going to say, if any of you guys want to contact me, uh, uh, maybe you want to come on the podcast, maybe you just want to ch- chop it up a little bit, I am more than willing to do so. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, I don't have Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, anything. I, I would love to have any member of Field Goals explain me this, why we are blocked by Field We're Goals. We're going to take you to the bank, Field Goals. The blood bank. <laughs> well, another weird thing, too, is like Davis, Sue, and like a bunch of Field Goals writers all follow us on Twitter. So the writers like us. It could it be? It's just the, the official Field Goals Twitter. You know, Wait, is Field Goals like Walmart in... Um... South Park, like it's the field goals, and so it blocked us, but the writers are like rebelling. This is some 1984 shit dropping on the podcast right now. Yeah. yeah. All right. So you know what? If, if we want to squash the beef, you know, we we have love only on this podcast, not hate, and so we want to know. Yeah, we'll what's swap happening. guest appearances if you anytime want, you want. I'll cry and just say, "Why did you block us?" If that's what it takes, you just I'll want do people it. to like Man, us. I have to log into my personal account to see their tweets now. It's so annoying. <laughs> that's how bad we want to re- reconcile the situation is that nathan's complaining this, i still this, want to see the tweets this minor inconvenience is just so annoying hey man social media inconveniences are the most inconvenient of inconveniences <laughs> <laughs> welcome back to the seahawks nest i am uh i'm i'm like uh the offensive line for the dallas cowboys you think i'm good but i'm gonna let you down i'm the host eric ronbeck <laughs> with me is the inscrutable kevin garber he's like the 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 running back for the minnesota vikings like you think you think all is lost and then boom kevin garber aka Jarek mckinnon shows that everything's gonna be okay okay i'm glad you went Jarek mckinnon because i'm a i'm a teacher of young children so the ap comparison no wasn't no gonna no work for me. no and you're not worthless that was like be a problem like matt asiata oh i was gonna say he's got the same build as matt asiata just buff just a huge dude yeah, Kevin, but I Kevin think Lewis, Kevin bro. could get more than a yard outside of the goal line. <laughs> Broad. Just, just my opinion. I would work done it, though. You just wouldn't see me going into the line, pop up on the other side of the line. Uh, with the producer uh, credits to my left is Nathan Santo. He's he's very much like Tom Brady. Always oh. dependable. There for every game. You don't even know it. Because let's face it, Tom Brady's been the quarterback the last four well, weeks. Let's be honest, I've been in Italy for the last 12 months. That's right. <laughs> just Modeling like, just shoes. Like Tom Brady. I thought Brett was more like Tom Brady. He missed the first four weeks. No, uh, 
Executive producer Brett Hancock is like the Odell Beckham Jr. or Des Bryant. He's the wide receiver, the most hated man on the podcast. <laughs> I thought he was the Tony Romo. He only shows up for four games a year. <laughs> no, who's like, that's who's actually like a, more, that's better. Who's like, you the, yeah, I was going to say, who's a wide receiver that's always hurt? Like, that's, that's the real. Des comparison. Bryant, it works. Yeah, it works. <laughs> He's the Des Bryant. So, uh, we're coming off a nice thrashing of the New York Jets. J-E-T-S. Sucks, sucks, sucks. sucks, sucks. sucks. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, gentlemen. They were having fits. <laughs> fits of depression. Fits of Patrick. Yeah, so real quick, why why did Ryan Fitzpatrick decide to show up for most of this game last week? He got a $9 million contract? No, 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 no. I mean, actually show up and play. Because, you know, the week before, he was throwing six interceptions. And as Nathan pointed out in creative ways, why did we get... Decent Ryan Fitzpatrick. Decent Ryan Fitzpatrick. He had three picks still, and he only completed 50% of his passes. I repeat, decent Ryan Fitzpatrick. 6.4 yards per attempt. I guess he was decent in that he threw a bunch of shallow passes to Nunez and then got lucky on some push His QB rating was 53, which is like, you know, you're right, below average. It's like a... If I had to give him a grade, it'd be an F minus, but I mean, it's still, <laughs> it's still not that bad. Uh, I'd give him a D minus. Here's, here's the thing about the Jets this year, okay? Is that Russell Wilson, 133.5, uh, QB, and everyone else that's played them has had a QB rating over 100. They are, the Russell's was the best, but it's all over 100s this year. And they're, they spent tons of money on their defense, tons of money on their secondary, and their secondary is straight up bad. Darrell Revis not playing very good. Uh, all the and I just don't think that they're getting enough pressure up front to to justify all this money they're spent on their secondary. Should we talk about that Seahawks offense? For yeah, sure. Go for it. Let's talk about that Seahawks offense. Let's talk about some Russell Wilson, youngest player with or excuse me, yes. smallest shortest number of games to get to twenty five multi touchdown no pick games. He's just such an efficient quarterback when he's on. And it seems like every, not I'm going to say every season, like two, three times a season, you hear Russell Wilson fastest to, or like he just beat, beat out the, the last quarterback to do this. I mean, hey. he was like the, the record he shares with Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. And for consecutive wins. Yes. And it's, and then another guy, we, home wins. a guy we talked about got a touchdown reception in the game that, Tanner McAvoy, where he said he might make the team if he could flex in as a tight end. I guess he didn't even need to do that. Just play wide receiver and just get out there. He's and have his, the safety fall down. <laughs> yeah. Just go be running wide. To, that to be Bailey the way that guy wasn't. That. Yeah, that guy the way was that not guy fell him. down was comical though. It was like something out of a like a slapstick <laughs> well, he was, comedy. He was chasing after McAvoy like he wasn't going to catch him, and then for some reason he decided to turn and then just flop over. That was it. it. It's pre Keystone Cops. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you think about the running game on, and in particular, Kevin? I thought the running game was just enough. What I really liked was the 18 carries. Even though it was only getting about three yards per carry, and even though the Jets' defensive line stops the run, and their linebackers are kind of heavy linebackers, they stopped to run well, they ran it enough to make sure to keep the team honest because Russ wasn't running five runs for negative five yards. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is I'm worried about how good – there's like a kind of a hard ceiling on how good our running game can be until the threat of Russell Wilson comes back. And it's because our tackle play is so poor. So we get such poor blocking from our tackles and we can't have Russell Wilson take the defensive end out of the play with the read option. And it causes problems for our run offense where, you know, Michael's actually running really well. And I think once the read option starts to become part of our offense again, as Russ gets healthy over the next 14 days, that is going to be something that is scary. But right now, it looks mediocre because 
we are having to just line up our left tackle and say, hey, beat this defensive end one-on-one, and that's just not not happening ever. I could not agree more. Once again, there were at least two plays where I saw Bradley Soule standing at left tackle, looking <laughs> around as defensive players rush from both sides of him, and he it's like he just freezes in the moment. His situational awareness is pathetic. I don't even think it's a physical thing. He can't kick slide to save his life, but there's a lot of left tackles that can't kick slide well. This dude just cannot like pick someone and get in the way. And it, at some Jimmy point, Graham out blocked him. At some point, we have to decide, you know, okay, for all the things that we like about Tom Cable and how good he is at coaching run blocking, he's not good at coaching pass blocking. It's just not a thing. When he coaches up players, they don't become good pass blockers. They are just straight up terrible pass blockers. And so Bradley Soul's not getting any better in that regard and he never will be better. And so we're gonna there's gonna be guys coming in on Russell Wilson's blind side all year. And that's the scariest thing about our team, I think, is if we have to face Everson Griffin in the first round of the playoffs, I'm afraid that he will break Russell Wilson in ten plays into the game. Well we know that, you know, Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they like to you know, have the competition idea <clears throat> and they want to push and, and get the best guy out there. But they also stand by their players longer than they should sometimes. Do we see Sewell getting replaced at any point? Like, what is it going to take? And do we have anything, anyone to replace him with? That's the thing. We have Jamarcus Russell, which is a Jam- big pile Jamar- of nothing. I wish it was Jamarcus, Jamarcus Russell. Webb, sorry. <laughs> That'd be so much funnier. If it's He's Jamarcus a big body. Russell, Jamarcus Russell is a big body. Jamarcus Russell, I felt athletic. Also, another thing about Jamarcus Tom Russell. Tom Cable can mold him. Is I bet you he weighs the same as Jamarcus Webb right now. <laughs> <laughs> I would bet money on it. Already already coached by Tom Cable. Here's by the, the thing. Way. We aren't going to sign him this late in the season, though. It's about to get cold. No. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> he's not good. Yeah. Uh, but I think... Uh, so the Seahawks did a couple things to alleviate this bad running game, though. Before we just, I think we've talked enough about the poor offensive line. I mean, let's be honest, we're only spending $7 million on the offensive line, and it seems like now we can't cut Jimmy Graham. He's too good. So we are not going to be able to free up a bunch of cap room without losing someone important like Michael Bennett. And so I think we just have to kind of accept our fate in this regard and hope that we get lucky on a first-round draft pick in the next year or so. Yeah. Yeah, but talking about things that were working – Jimmy Graham getting work, caught six out of eight passes, went over 100 yards again. Jimmy Graham looks like Saints Jimmy Graham in our offense. Jimmy Graham looks like Seahawks Jimmy Graham. He looks awesome. Another thing, too, is we use short passes to Michael to kind of act as run plays. Those five receptions he had for 32 yards, none of them went longer than nine yards. It was just consistently getting him open in space and letting him chunk the defense like it's a run. Very West Coast. Which is, which is what we need to do when our, when we don't have the read option to, to, you know, like I said, pull one guy just completely out of the play. And then Doug caught all four of his passes. You know, he only went for six, he only went for what, 54 54? yards? Yep. But he caught all four of his passes and there were a couple of first downs in there. He really helped extend a few of the drives. And because they had to keep focusing on him, that's part of what opened up the middle of the field for Graham. And Graham just worked the middle of the field. Yeah. And now that Graham's playing good, and now we have all our blocking tight ends come coming off of injury, we can you know relegate Luke Wilson to the practice squad finally, right? Please, <laughs> we could trade him. Oh man, I, w- I someone wish. wants a pass catching tight end. They He's, don't realize he can't catch passes. Yeah, don't like, tell him. The thing about like Luke Wilson is he will play so great for like seven to ten plays in a row, and I'll be like, you know what, Luke Wilson's not so bad, and then he will just drop a wide open pass and just drive me bananas. And it's always a first down pass on third down yeah, every it's, time. It's just, it's just, uh, he's just a, a frustrating player to watch, and he has no versatility. 
Okay. Like, there's no other thing that he does. He's just a, a, a slightly above, or he, he's an above average speed tight end. Yep. And he's not a great blocker. So it's, it's hard to keep, justify keeping him around if we're going to have Jimmy Graham, who is just a better version of him in almost every single way. Yes. Well, and it's, <clears throat> it's one of those guys I think they'll probably keep him on the roster just because. Veteran experience, been around for a while, knows the system. Yeah, exactly. But I, we've never praised Luke Wilson short of a couple plays on this show, and, and you shouldn't. Uh, it's, it's interesting though, with the emergence of Jimmy Graham, you know, in the preseason, we kept saying about this is Tyler Lockett. He's going to have a great year. It's almost sad to see Tyler Lockett buried in the offense with Jimmy Graham here, but that means that Tyler Lockett is a player that, boom, will just come out with a killer yeah, game when we need it's it. It's like a secret weapon. Absolutely. We're, we're holding him back now because when our three, we go to three receivers now, it's often that we get to see Jimmy Graham, Doug Baldwin, and Jermaine Curse on the field. Yeah. And Lockett is finding his way into less and less offensive snaps. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, you know, because what – uh, his snap count this week at wide receiver for Lockett was uh, 14, which is probably his season low. And Paul Richardson actually found his way onto the field for 39. I think Lockett is just finding his way as more of a special teamer for now and then a secret weapon we can bust out later. I also think Lockett's knee injury from week two might be playing into this a little bit. They might have been nursing him along. Keeping him, keeping him fresh. Yeah, because... Having those legs in the middle in the second half of the season, he is a game yeah. changer. And on any one passing play, he can turn that game on a dime, plus punt and kick returns. And I don't think keep just using him on punt and kick returns and keeping him healthy is necessarily a bad thing. No. I wouldn't mind if he keeps a low snap count for the rest of the year if all our wide receivers are healthy. Because Paul Richardson is a fine fourth wide receiver. He made a great catch on the sideline in this he game. He did. And I thought Paul Richardson looked really good. And if he stays healthy, and then once he gets hurt... We got Tyler Lockett just ready to go, man. He's right there. I don't want to put the whammy on Paul Richardson by saying that when he gets hurt. But, yeah, he he's shown that he's a little fragile on the field. And it's so good to see him out there. Because before we even had Tyler Lockett in our sights, except Kevin probably scouted him a year or two before. Um, I love this kid. I tell you (laughs) what, Mike, Mike. I love this kid. I know your name's not Mike anymore. I don't care. Uh, No, but Paul Richardson looks so good. For for a guy who I thought, frankly, his career was over, that he was yeah, maybe been too off strong. The field. Yeah, I mean he and he's still a burner after all those yes. leg injuries. The dude's still a burner. He's not putting up all star numbers, but he looks good in our offense and he looks like he knows what he's doing. Yes, which he is fits a role. You're yeah, exactly right. And it's Eric. hard to say. Like you know, I say it looks good when no, doing what he's doing. Look at all the receivers out there that don't need to don't know how to run routes. Look at Monday Night Football the other night where Odell Beckham Jr. giving up on a play. Like Paul Richardson is running his routes. He's doing what he's asked. He's fitting in. It's awesome. Yeah. Couple of red shirt years, just like Pete loves. Hey, we, that's we, all you need. Are we going to talk about the defense? I believe it's time for defense. I'm always ready to talk okay. about this defense. Uh, the defense makes okay. me so happy. I just have one question: Is Michael Bennett playing too many snaps at defensive tackle for you guys, or do you think that this usage pattern is fine? Jaron Reed was out in the last game, and that significantly upped his defensive tackle snaps. Yeah, I mean, Atia Rubin and Tony McDaniel had 39 percent of snaps each, and then Garrison Smith had another 25 percent. Which means that someone was playing defense tackle, and I looked back at the tape, and it was mostly Bennett playing a lot of defense tackle in this yeah. game. Do you feel like that's good use of Michael Bennett, or do you think it's kind of a waste? You know, I think it's funny. Like, you guys are always looking at snap counts. I just watched the games, and watching the game, I was like, wow, Michael Bennett's in at DT a lot more than he should be. Yeah. Honestly, we're getting to the quarterback. We're showing pass rush. Yep. Four sacks. And Michael yeah, Bennett's still getting to the quarterback. And for, frankly, like, I feel like. And I, this is, this is based off nothing. I feel like Michael Bennett may stay a little fresher playing D tackle this early 
And for right now, I love it. All year, no, I want to see him. I want to see him rush the quarterback more. But he's still getting to those run stops. I like Michael Bennett where he is for right now. Was he playing a lot of D tackle in previous games? I hadn't noticed that. Uh, he, I think it was just this doing, game because we on, on his bodies. like normal D tackle usage pattern where he will play inside on some run, uh, pass downs. Yeah. But he played a lot inside on rundowns in this game too. And I think that's just because with Reed out, we were lacking one of our big bodies in the middle. I think that's just. I think that was just game planning because the other person we could put in there was what Quentin Jefferson, Tony McDaniel. And I mean, we could have gave we could have gave a lot of snaps to just Atia Rubin and Tony McDaniel. But they're both older gentlemen. They're both uh, thirty, thirty one and thirty three. I think. Uh, I would guess that McDaniel is even older than that. Rubin's thirty, and McDaniel is thirty one. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, so I was wrong. He's so they're both north they're of thirty, and they're bigger players. I personally don't have a problem with it because. You're Bennett's not, you're not on the to, uh, Garrison Smith war wagon. I am not on the Garrison. He's a wide body. <laughs> He's like Bradley Soul. Hey, remember when I remember when I always used to say though the Seahawks just needed to get like a really big dude. Yeah, like a washing machine in the middle. Well, he's not that big. <laughs> he's not big <laughs> enough. He's not big enough for that. But uh, I man thought, fills a doorway though. I thought the defense played great in this game though. To be honest, uh, if I had one piece of feedback, it would be that we got killed on. Uh, passes to the running back again. Yes. Which has always kind of been a problem this season. But Brandon Marshall went four for 12, and I know he scored a touchdown, and I know he had a 41-yard catch, but um, they targeted him a lot, and for the most part, he was shut out. Thank you. You stole my exact comment. Everyone was talking about how Richard Sherman was getting exposed. There were eight incompletions against Brandon Marshall. If you throw the ball 12 times, yeah, he's going to catch some of them. And Brandon Marshall is one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. He caught four. He caught caught four four out of 12 for 89 yards. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Sherman ended the game with two picks, which I think says a lot about the strategy that Ryan Fitzpatrick said, which was target Richard Sherman. That seemed to work pretty poorly. And I think other, I mean, if you take out that garbage time touchdown, we really were kicking the crap out of them. Well, and the garbage oh, time touchdown was such a fluke, too. Um, I will, I will say, last week I, I did pose the question: Are we going to move Richard Sherman around on Brandon Marshall? And you said no. But we moved Richard Sherman around on Brandon Marshall. You saw him on the left side of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I thought that was great coaching. And yeah, I do think that that would have been scary to watch Shed line up against Marshall a lot. I think that he would have got. That four for twelve probably becomes something gross, like ten for twelve. Yeah. So you're right. You're right. It was a good idea to move Sherman around, even though especially with Decker out. I just thought the defense was our our defensive coordinators are stubborn. You know, they don't do stuff like that because they're stubborn and they want to be like, hey, we're lining up. This is how we line up. Beat this. Chris Richard though is, I mean, Dan Quinn looked great as our defensive coordinator. Gus Bradley looked great as our defensive coordinator. We know this is Pete Carroll's defense, but Chris Richard kind of looks like an innovator out there. Yeah, yeah he's, I think he's dialing up blitz packages we haven't the seen. Sacks are from. Yeah, two of the sacks. KJ Wright had a sack, and Bobby Wagner, the most efficient blitzing linebacker <laughs> in the NFL. Another thing that's crazy too is that we used to have really bad linebacker blitzes. Like we'd linebacker blitz, yeah. and we'd always get picked up yep. and stuff like that. And this year, our linebacker blitzes have been very successful, and a lot of that has to come down to scheme. Yeah, and Chris uh, Chris Richard should get a lot of credit for how successful when we bring extra guys. And actually, one thing he's doing too is he's blitzing creatively and like blitzing a linebacker, but still only bringing four guys because he has defensive ends who can actually yeah. cover, like yes. Cassius March and Frank Clark, who are better in coverage than most defensive ends normally are. Yeah, they're almost as good as Bruce Irvin, who is functional mostly. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I actually I do not miss Bruce Irvin. Also, just 
of all the guys on the podcast. Oakland, Oakland doesn't seem to have Bruce Irvin because their defense is horrible. <laughs> oh, I was say, their offense is great though. I did want to throw one thing on there before you do that, and that is, I think a contributing factor. You notice Bobby Wagner's blitzing through the middle, and yeah. I think it's because Ruben and Reed, or Ruben, especially Ruben and Reed, but Ruben and McDaniel are both very big, very physical players who have a good bull rush. And they really occupy centers and guards more than historically we've gotten from our defensive tackles. And I think that's helped up the efficiency because on a delayed blitz, Wagner can just pick the spot and they can't move away from those defensive tackles the way they used to be able to. Yeah, and he's he goes in untouched, which is really beautiful to see. Yeah. I will say out of all the guys on this podcast, I'm the one that likes to that prefers to not harp on the officiating. But one of Brendan Marshall's uh, big oh, catches, the, the was, one with the where he he pushed off big time. He and pushed they off called big time. DPI. And you know it's yes, really bad when terrible. when the announcers say when they say well that, that's that's coming back, and then they say it's on Richard Sherman, and the announcer goes <laughs> okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, that you really you really you really know what's going on. That's and you're awesome. not talking about Steve Rabel and Warren Moon. No, you're talking no, about the, the national announcers. The national announcers who were so sad that the Jets were sucking. Yeah, they they were just so they wanted sad the game the to be game. good. Like you know, if you're announcing a neutral game, you want the game to be close. And it was this game was never really that close. It was closer on the scoreboard than it was in the after, game at any after point about in time. halfway through the second quarter when we went up fourteen to three. That was basically the end of the Are game. Are you saying that we're a second half team, Nathan? No, I'm saying like in the second quarter. <laughs> hey man, we we, we sped it up uh, this year. We're second second okay. half of the second quarter. If there's two things I think the Seahawks are going to look at in the film room on defense this week, though. It's that they were able to convert way too many hard third downs. Yes, they went seven for fifteen on third down, which is not something that you should let happen if you're a great defense like the Seahawks. And then th- most of that was because Quincy and Yunwa yes. tore us up on those intermediate routes on third down. And so I would like to see in the film room us scheming how to stop these short passes to running backs and like Bilal Powell and uh, slot wide receivers like Quincy and Yunwa because those two guys converted a lot of third downs that I think this team should be able to stop. And you know what? If it gives them one good thing to work on in the, over the next two weeks, I'm happy about it. That's true. Because it's a great win, and then you know now we have something to work on. And b- the thing that I loved about this game, Matt Forte came in fourth in the NFL in rushing. He had a very Todd Gurley-esque 14 <laughs> carries for 27 yards. Don't forget and those. That was without Jaron Reed. Don't forget those max max carry of five yards that's the best part yes he did not go farther than five yards on the ground our run defense was back in this game our run defense has been stellar all year except in garbage time yeah except for like except for carlos Hyde, who ripped us up when the game didn't matter man that was that was a master mastermind chip kelly running the ball in the fourth quarter nonstop when his team's down 21 points all right and i wanted to talk about one more thing which is the the secret yards now i know i haven't talked about this at all this year okay but you guys you guys know that i Long-time listeners of the podcast know that I love the secret yards. And you might be thinking, what are secret yards? Well, that's yards that we gained because of field position. And we left them in a lot of garbage field positions because John Ryan, on all five of his punts, did an excellent job. You mean 2009 team MVP John Bootzilla Ryan? Uh, <laughs> sure, if that's, if that's what you want to... That is the only way to refer to that, the, man. The way you want to I'll also accept American Ninja Warrior John Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I like. So I think this year in the NFL, we just have like a, a punting renaissance because when you sort by yards per punt, John Ryan's actually like 25th, 
because this year, like, punting's just out of control. There's so many good punters in the league. Um, in fact, Carolina traded for Andy Lee, the punter, and he's probably been the best player on their team, even though I will still make fun of them for trading a third rounder for a punter. But that, that's <laughs> An terrible. Aging, overpaid punter. It's a, it's a terrible idea, but Andy Lee has been awesome this year. 51.1 yards per punt, which is just nuts. So, um, John Ryan's been great though. He's 35 years old. I'd say we could, we could hold on to him for probably three or four more years before we have to try to find a new punter. And I'm very excited about how well he's played this year. And then convert him straight into a special teams coach, consultant. Absolutely. One of us. We need to keep this man in our life. So yeah, this is the bye week now that is upon us. And I just realized that this afternoon, by the way, <laughs> looking for the podcast, I was like, oh, wait, we're, we're not playing. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I, I was like, oh yeah, who's next? Oh, nobody. Before the season started, I was lamenting the the fifth week of the season bye week. Now with you know Russell Wilson almost dying and Tyler Lockett needing some rest, I'm really happy about this. How do you guys think that this bodes well with our upcoming schedule? And Nathan, do you want to go look game by game really quickly this week, or do you want well, to say? Yeah, that? I was thinking that it'd be a good idea for us to look at where the Seahawks stand. What do we think about the other teams in the division, and then maybe mm-hmm. what do we see for us at? as the year goes on because we do have tough games coming up after the bye yeah next week we'll probably talk off season a little bit so now's a good time to focus on the rest of the year so uh yeah we'll talk about the off we'll talk about off season plans and uh, what we think the team might try to do in the off season at the beginning of next week's podcast right so this week let's just look at our division rivals so what do we think about the resurgent los angeles rams do you think that this is a real thing or do you think this is all kind of smoke and mirrors man jeff fisher's putting together one of his great seasons you know, he's really pushing things. He's got an all-time L.A. Rams Jeff Fisher year when he goes 8-8. Eight and eight. Seriously, I don't understand how this team keeps winning. Their quarterback averages 6.8 yards per attempt. He's 55% passer. That's three he times has, as much as their running back averages. He has just four Zing. touchdowns and three interceptions. Gurley is averaging 2.6 yards a rush. This offense is inept. And I understand Aaron Donald is really good. You don't need to email me and tell me Aaron Donald's really good. I know. I am aware that Aaron Donald is a destroyer of worlds. But he still only has one and a half sacks. And so I just it's just confusing to me that this team is playing is keeps winning games. And their and defensive backs too. are not good. No, this this team has some talent. It does not have a lot of talent. And I think you cannot understate the effect of momentum in the nfl if you look at the carolina panthers last year they had all this momentum they get to the super bowl momentum gone this year the rams have momentum how yeah, long that, will it carry that move to la i think has gotten this team playing a little better like they they're wanting but w- at what point will it start to become more of a distraction and less of a benefit that's the question i'm thinking of well i think have, i mean without really spending a lot of time and i don't know if you can do it right now but how tough does their schedule get? I mean, you talked about the Seahawks schedule is going to get tougher. I look at teams like Minnesota right now. Well, their their schedule, for them being 4-0, their schedule has been pretty easy. I mean, to be honest, I think that if Carson Palmer doesn't get knocked out of the game, they probably win that game. Drew Stanton was among the – it was among the all-time worst game-closing performances by a quarterback. Four for 11, two picks. He was really, really bad Fitzpatrick at the end of that game. Uh, so I think if, if – you know, if they're they could easily be two and two if Carson Palmer could have just hung in there. But their schedule is easy. They play versus the Bills at the Lions versus Giants versus Panthers at Jets versus Dolphins at Saints. I think all of those games are imminently winnable for them. But and I also could really see them going right about five hundred. Oh, easily they could easily lose all those games too because this team does not have a ton of talent. They've actually been outscored by thirteen on the year, and oh they're three gosh. and one. Well, yeah, <clears throat> that Pythagorean win loss. Also, if you look at the idea that. You know, 
teams catch up to other teams and they do figure things out. When the Rams get figured out or when a team comes and beats the Rams, you know, steadily and easily or, you know, they handle them decently, I will say that that will be the end of the Rams. Yeah, like they will lose, they will lose a game by 10, 13. They're not going to bounce back from that. They're not going to bounce back from that. They'll pull out a quick win. Then they're going to lose two more games and you're going to see seven and nine, eight and eight LA Rams. Do we need to talk about the Chip Kellys? I think we do. I think it's the All 49ers right. are fun right now because they're showing resolve and that's something that franchise hasn't had in a couple of years. I think they're, I, you're right. They're frisky. Yeah. And yeah. they're not, I don't think they're going anywhere. But if I was a 49ers fan, I would relax and just be like, you know what? This team's kind of fun to watch. And they're actually well coached. Yeah, which is something they really needed last the, year. The problem with the team on the whole, though, is that they just don't have enough talent on the roster. They need like four to eight more good players before and they actually they, uh, have a serious They lost Navarro Bowman. They the need year. an offensive lineman, a wide receiver, and probably a pass rusher. They, no, they, they do need not need defensive ends. Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner are, are good enough. They they can get by with those two guys. I'm thinking like a pass rushing linebacker. I don't think Ahmad Brooks has it anymore. And yeah, DeForest I mean, Buckner, can, not usually well. Do you think that at some point they kick it out to a 4-3, though, and just play those guys on the side, on the outside? I think that'd be smart. Yeah, so I think that that's probably where we're going to head with them at some point because they have two premier pass rushing defensive ends, and not everyone's J.J. Watt, and they can't just play defensive end in a 3-4 and expect to get to the passer. So I think eventually we see San Francisco running a lot of 4-3 sets with those guys as DEs. They're still going to lose a lot of games, but right now they're a fun team to watch. Yeah, I yeah. agree. All right, we're going to head to the 1-3 and three Cardinals, the team we thought that would be up in our grill all season. They're off to a terrible start. I had them at 11 wins, and it's because this is a team that cranks off. What They had a nine-game winning streak last year. Yep. They've had a couple of six-game winning streaks in the last few years. This is a team that can peel off wins because they're such an all-or-nothing big play offense. Mm-hmm. But... If Palmer's out, I don't think they can. And so the longer Palmer's absent, the more losses you're racking up. They could be two and five by the time they peel off those six games. And then you're looking at 10 and six, which might not make the playoffs. Well, what did I say in the, in the preseason? I said that like the window is, is being held. Their playoff, their Super Bowl window is being held open by like a, a rickety stick. Yeah. At any time, you know. The Punny Badger goes down. Carson Palmer goes down. Carson Palmer going down, I don't think it helps them, but he has not looked good when he's played this year. His body is breaking down. He's showing his age. Sorry, in the National Football League, and actually in sports in general, this happens in baseball, of all the laziest sports, people just fall off the cliff all of a sudden. And in the NFL, you see it just like that. And Carson Palmer looks bad this year. I have a, I have a belief, and this goes for every single division in football, that if you can pick any team and represent that team, there's the team that you beat up on, the team that always plays you close, and the team that is your rival. And we know the Rams always play the Seahawks close. Right now we're beating up on the 49ers, and the Cardinals seem to be our rival. That could be shifting again, and the Rams could be our rival because the Cardinals look awful. We haven't played them this year, but right now I am not scared to play the Cardinals. I'm excited to play the Cardinals because I'm excited that they're 1-3. and three. I do not like the Cardinals. I don't believe in that fan base. I don't believe in that team. Their helmets are not intimidating. I love the one and three Cardinals. Keep it going. That's what I say. They've got Bruce Arians. They've got a talented defense, though there is some health issues there. And they have a really good running back. 
And so they have pieces that can turn around quickly. I could see them having a down year, but if they can address quarterback, it won't be long. They're a team that has the pieces in place, that has the infrastructure to be right back to 10 wins. If they can't get there this year, they'll probably be there next year. Are you saying Bruce Arians is going to make Jay Cutler good next year? Make that Jay what? Cutler great again. <laughs> I'm Bruce Arians. I know the best people. I make the best deals. <laughs> the best stakes. I, I signed the best quarterbacks. All right. Sorry. I couldn't help it. Uh, so Bruce Arians, I think this team might be heading to nine and seven. I think they're going to rip off like a six game win streak and everyone will be like, Arizona's back. And then they'll just inexplicit, inexplicitly lose three straight games and no one will understand why, but you'll understand why because you heard this here is this is a streaky team full of players. They, they live and die by the long pass and that is not a place you want to be. It's a lot like the Mariners of the last few years, not necessarily this year, but the end of the Jack Zarenzik era where you'd be going, all right, they're putting together a really good month. And then late July will roll around and they'll lose like 12 of 16. Yeah. And that's kind of what this Cardinals team can do. And like Nate just said, they can roll up and then roll down. And so I think we're all pegging them somewhere between 8 and 10 wins is where it looks like they're headed. And they they could put it together for a longer sustained amount but if they do i think it's gonna be an early playoff exit nate any any kind of belief in the cardinals that you have i think going forward the second nfc wild card is one is so one is going to the packers i hate to say it because i really don't think that that team is that good but their schedule lines up well they're playing pretty good, and I think that they're probably going to end up at somewhere in the 12-4 and 4 range, which no team is going to be able to match that. So then we're looking at, for the second wild card, we're looking at these teams, like uh, Philadelphia, Dallas, Washington, New York. Those te- One of those teams could be in the mix. You might be looking at a resurgent Carolina or the Rams or the Cardinals. Like Those are the teams that could still make it. My, So I don't know. The, the Cardinals could be back. They could also could not be back. They have a plus 12 point differential, even though they're one and three. So the game they won, they won by a lot, which makes me think that this team might be, you know, decent ish. Do you give Sneaky a better, decent? do you give better odds to Carolina or Arizona on that resurgence? Arizona. Yeah. Arizona, not close for me. I think Arizona, their DBs are so terrible in Carolina. Yeah. I think Arizona has better talent except at quarterback. And I mean, that is the most important position. I agree, though. So Cam Newton, it could be enough of a difference maker that he brings that team back. But I like Arizona better just because every other position seems more talented. Maybe not Luke Keekley, but, you know, (laughs) they don't play like the same scheme. And the linebackers matter less in Arizona because they're playing defensive backs at linebacker and doing weird stuff like that. They they basically had to shift around after Washington got popped on another... Um, what was it? Was it PED or drugs? I can't remember which. Drugs. But he got popped again uh, right before the season started that one year, and they're like, eh, "Screw it, we're gonna run four two five like a college <laughs> team." And then it's just worked really well because they have outrageous talent. Well, and the Panthers have players on their team that are really good. You know, Luke Keekley, Greg Olson, Cam Newton, and outside of quarterback, it's not studs about a player. And duds. yeah, it's it's literally you want you want a good position group. And like Nathan said, the the Cardinals have better position groups, better receivers, better better everything except for tight end and quarterback. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh-huh. So, yep. So, if we had to pick right now, okay, if you had to pick right now, you're redoing your picks from the beginning of the year. Who do you like? Who do you like a lot more in each conference? Who do you like a lot less in each conference? And then pick a Super Bowl for me, just real quick. You know, off the top of your head, I know this is probably challenging, but who's I like t- New England a lot more. I didn't think they were going to be able to play this well without Tom Brady. You're not going to say Denver. You're not going to like. Wait. Okay. I have more than one. <laughs> okay. I had Denver pegged around nine and seven, and I was wrong. Yeah. A lot. I was. Paxton, remember, I remember, Paxton Lynch coming in is good because he actually fits that offense real well. I remember feeling like I really had to defend that I like Denver to make the playoffs and being like, no, their defense. They got Vaughn Miller, guys. Like, I don't know. I just remember the feeling I like. I thought their offense was way worse than it ended up being. I thought their offense. I thought they were going to look a lot more like the Rams with a more talented defense. I reluctantly picked the Broncos to win, if I remember correctly. I could be wrong about that, but I wasn't really high on them like Nathan is. I was, I was more. You know, I may have. I may have. But yes, I think that the teams that I should have been higher on were definitely Denver and New England. Those were mistakes um, in the AFC. Yeah, my big mistake. I should have been lower on the Jets. My big mistake was New England. I actually think the Jets aren't that. Their secondary is playing so bad, but there's no way Darrell Rivas is just horrible. Um, so, mm. all right, fine. He could be. He could be. He could have jumped. jumped NFC, the, Kevin. Jumped but over that hill. means I do see only two teams coming out of the AFC North because I see two teams coming out of the West. I think Oakland and Denver both make the playoffs. Wow. So I think that one of Cincinnati and Baltimore are in trouble, and Baltimore schedules kindly. Yeah, it definitely does look good. What about your NFC picks? NFC picks, I was spot on in saying that Carolina yeah. was not as good as people thought they were going to yeah, be. Yeah, I, I, I had Carolina out of the playoffs. I had Atlanta and Minnesota playing well, so I feel pretty good. And I yeah. actually was the highest on the Eagles out of everyone. I think I had them at 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9. and nine. The Eagles were definitely my mistake team. I had them <laughs> at like four wins. They I was still, dead wrong. They could still easily go 8-8. Eight and eight, but, uh, but they're not going to go 4-12. They're four not going to go 4-12. and 12. That's 100% true. But So that was the team I was really wrong about. And I also was a little too high on Arizona, but I only had them around 11 wins. I think it's hard. They could still get around there. Arizona, they just kind of, as of right now, they've fallen off. But I pegged Atlanta, I feel like. I think, oh, I was also a little high on Washington. I had them more like 9-7, and seven, and they could be more like 7-9. and nine. But that's not really that's me being a two game super difference. Wrong. No, in that division, that's the difference between first and last. Yeah, well, and that's really a difference. Because one game Eric, if you're not first, you're, you're last. last. You can you can be second. You can be third. Hell, you can be seventeen. You know, I I will say that I was a little high Thanks, on sorry. the on the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm I should back off that a little bit. And <laughs> I don't know. I was a little high on the Dolphins. The Dolphins look like <laughs> they may be the secret worst team in the NFL. As for the NFC. I don't. I don't know. I know I was really down on the Eagles. I don't regret that. Because... Oh, by the way, I called the Packers. I'm going to say that right now. I caught a lot of crap for that. I said the Packers were. Yeah, really I, have good. The pa- I have the Packers in the playoffs. You didn't. I had them at eleven and five, fifth seed. I'm looking at my picks right now. Okay. You were. I will say though, you were. You were high I, on the Packers. I wanted the Packers to be bad, but I couldn't talk. I looked <laughs> yeah. at the schedule. Couldn't find that many. I losses. looked at the schedule and I'm like a million times, and I was just like, I can't find five, seven yeah. losses on this schedule. The schedule's easy, and the. I just want Mike McCarthy to get fired because I think anyone could do better with Aaron Rodgers in that defense. Like I Imagine do think it's, it's completely underrated. No, please, By the way, I'm looking no. at my eight NFC East picks. I had Cowboys at eight and eight, Redskins at seven and nine, Eagles at seven and nine, Giants at six and ten. They'll probably change that once Roma got hurt. This, bump each of them up one win. Yeah, if I bump all these up like one or two wins, I feel like I'd be 
right on it. And I could probably bleed those wins out of the Cardinals and the Bears. I have the Bears <laughs> at 8-8. Eight eight. That is stupid. Wow. <laughs> That's probably my worst pick, but at least it's not a playoff team. I feel like my playoffs, other than the Jets, could still happen. If you take the Jets and just switch them with the Patriots, I think all these other picks are solid. Ravens, Steelers, Texans, Raiders, Broncos, Seahawks, Cowboys, Falcons, Packers, Vikings, Cardinals. Like that that's perfectly reasonable, I think. I'm really proud of uh how how low I was on the Texans. They they still might miss the playoffs. I have te- I had Texans winning the division at nine and seven, and that just seems perfect. <laughs> that just seems perfect right now. Yeah, with Watt out especially. Why did I have Colts at eight and eight though? Man, I should have had the foresight to know they're only gonna win like four games. I don't know. I still think the Colts <laughs> can win that division. Uh my most egregious thing, I do remember this, I was not high on the Vikings at all. Yep. And I'm you know what? I don't care. I'm riding that. I don't care. Vikings are gonna blow it. Heard it here first. <laughs> Very right. Brad Hancock thing of me to say. Alright, nice. So uh are we ready for Seahawks Nest Movie Club? I think we are. Let's okay. go. Here's the problem. Okay, there's a problem I've run into. Okay, is that I have a big list, right? And I had like put a lot of thought into a specific movie, but I know it's one of Brett's favorite movies. So the question is, should I take a risk and name a movie that I'm not sure either of you have even seen, or go with the movie I was going to do before and just say, you know what? Screw you, executive producer Brett Hancock. You missed your chance. I the think ladder. we're going with the... Brett Hancock Honorary oh, Seahawks Movie Club right. by picking, you know, it's it's this is a this is in honor of Brett not being here. We're picking a movie in his honor. All right, well, fuck it, dude. Let's go bowling. Because <laughs> we are talking about The Big Lebowski, All my right. favorite movie, and I've held I off on. Kingpin. I've held off on this for a long time. Kingpin's on the list. That's Don't worry. That movie's fucking great. <laughs> Kingpin's great. Uh, the thing about The Big Lebowski is my literal favorite movie, and so I wanted to do it the first week, but I just keep pushing it back because I'm like, I can't do it yet. It'll seem too self, self, uh, self-aggrandizing or whatever. You know, I just think it'll make it seem, but you know what? I can't wait any longer. It's my favorite movie, and I know both you guys like it. So everybody loves this movie. So what is so great about this movie for you guys? What do you like about it? Before I just start going crazy. So my favorite thing is, that so many great lines in the movie are not your typical one-liners. It's because it makes you think of other things. <laughs> could say I could take any rug I want. Yeah, yeah. There's a beverage <laughs> the here. The guy said I could take any rug in the house. Any, <laughs> so take good. any rug in the house. Um, one of my favorite lines is the line before that, where uh, or a little before that is when he's you go. Dress, do you have a job, sir? Do you go dressed? Do you, are you dressed like that? To look for a job. <laughs> What, what, what? Do you know what day of the week it is? It's Tuesday. Are you, do you have a job? And he's like, is, is it Tuesday? Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. When the guy's talking trash to him at the bowling alley and talks about how he's going to uh, just absolutely smoke him in the league match, he's like, that's like your opinion, man. <laughs> your opinion, <laughs> man. <laughs> just, there's so many great lines that are otherwise, in other movies, the line wouldn't stand out. But it's like delivery and context. Not everything has to be about it, goddamn Vietnam. Another thing that's crazy about this movie too is the, the all the characters have so they like have, they're so deep, but they give you so little. You know, like it's not like they spend a bunch of time doing stuff. But you just get this scene where like Walter is in the Walter and the dude are in a diner and they're sitting <laughs> at the diner counter and he just he's like, excuse me. The Supreme Court has roundly rejected prior restraint, and he's just going off about, I'm going to sit here, enjoy my coffee, <laughs> drinking my coffee. He just gets so <laughs> angry, and it's just like, this. they do all these little things that are funny and interesting to set up these characters as, like, deep, interesting people, as opposed to just, like, flat, 2D, uh, you know, boring 
characters. Well, I've I've said this before when we we just talk about this movie, but all those characters you mentioned and why they're not super deep, they're all archetypes. Okay, this is the Coen, the Coen brothers who said this is their whodunit movie. This is their Maltese Falcon. This is their detective noir movie. And you think, well, where are the cops? Doesn't need a cop. The big Lebowski, Jeffrey Lebowski, the small Lebowski, the main character of the movie, is the detective. He just wants his rug back and also his Credence eight track. He just wants. He just I wants would, things the I way they were. Any, I wouldn't hold out any hope for the tape deck, though, though, or the credence. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let you know. We'll let you know if we find it. Yeah, but also that's another. Yeah, we got him working in shifts. <laughs> that part's so funny. It's a great thing in the movie, though, is when he finds the credence eight track. It's just like the happiest moment in the movie for him. Oh, he's oh. just hitting the top he's of the car. Yeah. So happy. Crazy. Then well, he can't. He can't roll down the window. So when he tries to flick the roach, it goes in his lap. <laughs> crashes his car well or you know the daughter lebowski's uh lebowski's daughter playing the dame who walks oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. basically you know he's a good man and thorough that's not she's not my girlfriend she's my special lady friend <laughs> no and there's there's also a lot of actors that you've seen in bigger roles since that movie and flea from the red hot chili peppers yes in his finest acted and we don't role. hold that against them tara reed in her finest acted role oh man that's that, that part where <laughs> that same scene where he gets the rug and he's walking out and she's like talking about how she's she's like propositioning the dude and then she's like Brant can't watch though, or he has to pay seventy or whatever. <laughs> Which and it's not a quote, but when when that happens in uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, just the way he laughs. <laughs> Did he say that's marvelous? Yeah, that's marvelous. <laughs> the embarrassment on that character's face is priceless, and that's that's just great acting. That Brant character is so great because that scene where they're sitting next to each other the, the big lebowski and brant are sitting next to each other in the back of the limousine and he's just like repeating everything that the big lebowski <laughs> says so good oh man uh, a lot of ins a lot of outs very difficult case <laughs> oh man it's yeah my- it's and the movie takes so many twists and turns going up into the into the hollywood hills to deal with the uh the porn producer Oh yeah, where, where, I like the part where he takes the pencil and he's he's shading it in to try to see what he wrote on the yeah. piece of paper, and it's just a drawing of a guy with a huge dick. <laughs> Only in this movie, yeah, that's that goes calls back to another detective trick, and he's gonna do it, and it just backfires. Yeah, on he's him. just he's just trying to be a detective, trying to, he's just trying to get his rug. You know, dude, and just everything want, goes wrong. It's funny that's the best part. Dude just wanted it. Dude just wanted a rug, man. Dude just yeah. wanted his rug back. Even even at the very it really end, really tied the room together. It did it not. <laughs> Well, and like Sam Elliott, you know, he's narrated the, the cow, the, the drifter, the cowboy he's called. Yeah. The way he, at the end, you know, he, he talks to the dude and he's just like, what does he say? Like, you have to cuss so much. I think that's, that's one of the things he says. I know that. <laughs> but he says like, uh, you said, and he just like, goes, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> what are you <laughs> talking about, man? So but when he says like, uh, keep, keep going, dude. And, uh, he's like, was it like a keep on keeping on? Yeah. He's like, keep on keeping on. The dude's like, okay. And he's like, hey, dude. I know that you will. And then the dude like says this most profound thing he's ever said. He's like, the dude abides. <laughs> and then he walks off and, and the, and the drifter takes it as like some gospel. The dude abides. It's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful story. It has a really big time cast. Like there's a lot of people in the movie that are great actors and actresses. Yeah. Like great character actors, John Goodman playing Walter. You got Buscemi, uh, Steve Buscemi playing Donnie. You know, you have all these great characters. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. Anytime you work with a Donnie, that is the first thing you'll think, and yes. it's their fault for being this. named Donnie. You just constantly go, Donnie, you're out of your element. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, it's a great movie, and it's and I don't know anyone. I know people who haven't seen this movie. I don't know anyone who does not like the movie. Yeah, it's it's another thing too. <laughs> One of the scenes that cracks. Another thing, Crash. I'm just gonna keep bringing up parts of this movie I like because I just love this movie so much. When he's you don't when you get divorced, you don't turn in your library card. You don't stop <laughs> being Jewish. <laughs> it's so funny, it's so uh, funny to me. <laughs> uh, what is it? Uh, you'll be in a world of pain. You will be in a world of pain. What was that? It was Smokey. Smokey, that's yes. right. Smokey, Smokey's passive. This man, he was a conscientious Pass objector. Pass the line. I did not know that. <laughs> the way he says I did not know that, it cracks me up too. Pass the line. Yeah. Over the line. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> the way he just yells it in the middle of the conversation. Yeah, even, even yeah, like that a, conversation leading up to that's really funny though. He's like, because they're talking about that Pomeranian that he br- brings to the bowling alley. His he's ex-wife. Like, he's like, what is that? In the carrier, man. Oh, it's my, my ex-wife's Pomeranian. I think it's a... <laughs> It's a show oh, no, dog, I think dude. it's a Pomeranian. Yeah, and he's like, oh, why did you bring it bowling? I didn't bring it bowling. I'm not getting it shoes. It's not taking <laughs> The way he says it, he's so calm. He's the calmest he's ever been. Well, dude, it is a show dog. And you I didn't bring it bowling. It. You I, can't board it. It gets very upset. It. it gets very upset. I didn't take it bowling. I didn't bring it shoes. And then out of nowhere, over the lot! Like, he just snaps. Yeah. And then goes back into the conversation. Yes. And then he asks him to score it, and then it all goes downhill yeah, so es- fast. And it escalates too. And then that, that later in the scene, they call later in the movie, they call back to that when Jesus is like, "I'll pull that gun out of your hand," like that trash talking a John Turturro character, which is just such a great like. It's a living meme. That character is a, just a human He's meme. Only oh, yeah. in that movie for comic relief, I, yeah. I feel. Oh, oh, totally. And the acid trip dream oh. to the soundtrack of Kenny uh, Rogers in the first edition. Yes. Yeah. It's a really good, really good. Just scene. a that, great. Scene. This movie has great music too. Really good music. I uh, I really enjoy it. I like the um, the whole movie is just a labor of love. Every piece is so like lovingly crafted and put in place. And it just feels another thing too is like it feels like California. You know, like it feels you can feel the different areas of California. You know, like when he's in Malibu after that party and that cops kicking him in the in the stomach and he's like, "Stay out of Malibu, Lebowski." I'm like, "This is something that would really happen in yeah. Malibu." You know, like the cop would just beat the crap out of a guy and be like, "Don't ever come back to Malibu. You're a bum. Get out." So, I I don't know. I just sounded like stuff like that or like when he they ask him for identification and he gets out his Ralph's card. Like there's just like so many little things like that that are just so so good. And another thing that's cool about this movie is the dude is based on a real person. He's a screenwriter uh, in Los Angeles, and you can look him up. It's it's a real dude that they kind of based the character on, um, but except for the real dude is a little more successful than the dude in the movie where he can't he can't pay his rent or anything. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool. They based the dude on, like the personality of the dude is totally inspired by a real guy. That's this is a well known movie, but it still deserves a spot on here just because every once in a while I think you need to be reminded of the fact that this is. Not just a good movie and not just an enjoyable movie. This really is a great movie. Yeah, and it's also on Amazon Prime Instant Video. So if you want to watch it, that's where you can watch it. It used to be on Netflix. I don't think it's on Netflix anymore, but it could be back. You I'm also sure. have a friend with it on DVD. Just trust yeah. us. If you're listening to this podcast, yeah, you, have you a probably f- have a friend who has it on DVD. Yeah, you could just ask your friend who smokes the most marijuana <laughs> <laughs> to borrow this DVD. It's, you know, it's funny, though. We talk about how great of a movie it is. And now that we've... I've never thought this before, I don't think, but John Goodman did not get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And looking at this movie, you know what? That guy deserves it. That guy yeah. totally deserves it. And Goodman, like, 
he's just like the most underrated actor of our time. Like I feel like everything he does is so good. John Goodman is the early '90s fat guy that didn't die, and I think yeah. for that reason, he gets overlooked in a lot of ways. And like you guys are saying, as a character actor, and he doesn't get considered a character actor as much as he should. He is a really strong character actor. Yes, he is. He plays well. And he does good in like leading roles too, like Monsters, Inc. and uh, stuff like that. He's really awesome. And I like those Monsters, Inc. movies a lot. I think that Monsters, Inc. and Monsters University are both really good. Actually, Uh, King Ralph, if you want to look back, is an enjoyable movie. He does well. Ten Cloverfield Lane, which just is his most recent film. That movie I really, really, really enjoyed. I thought that it was because of him that that movie was so fun to watch. It was basically only three actors, and I thought two of them were just out of out of the hit it out of the park. John Goodman and Mary Elizabeth Weinstead were both awesome in that movie. He's a lot like Alan Rickman, where he doesn't carry very many movies, even though he's capable of it. But when you see that he's in a movie, you immediately go, "That's probably going to be a good movie." Yeah, just because he doesn't pick like a lot of bad movies to be in or anything. Well, and if I mean even Arachnophobia, he has a God, very memorable, great. very well done spot in that movie. Right. Very we, early in his career. Can we loop this into talking about another Coen Brothers movie that's really good and I think kind of underrated as long as you're going to leave it off the list in the future. John Goodman and John Turturro in it and that's Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Oh. That movie was so hot when it first came out that it didn't seem like it could ever be underrated and nobody sees that movie anymore yeah, ever. it's like no one talks about this movie but this movie's like super super good and i would recommend it if you like coen brothers and there are some uh, hilarious scenes in there everything we've said about the big lebowski translates to this movie yeah. i love oh brother Rothar. great soundtrack great actors great great I one-liners mean, it's it's literally the odyssey yeah, but just like it's not an original so idea it's just good. the coen brothers take an archetypical movie, and they make that, it their that's own. That's what they do, though. They, they just take the movie that another I want to see the Coen Brothers do Dante's Inferno now. So bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. So bad. Uh, you know that the, the only... Okay, here's a weird Coen Brothers fact. The only reason that um, Bill Murray took those Garfield movies is because he thought they were written yes. by the Coen Brothers. And then when it turned out they weren't, he was already like locked in. He couldn't do it. So that's that's my uh, that's my interesting. The sad thing about fact. that is it kind of tells me that maybe Bill Murray isn't as smart as I thought he was. I don't know. He likes paychecks a lot. <laughs> I will say we're we're talking about our lines. Uh, real quick, oh brother, we're out thou lines that you want to throw out. I'm gonna R U N N O F T. That is my favorite line in the entire movie. Uh, it's either for me, it's either the argument with the. Uh, the store clerk about Dapper I'm a Dan. Dapper and Dan, man. I don't want yeah. fuck. God damn it! I want Dapper Dan. Yeah, that that scene always hey, that scene killed me. Watch your language, young man. Well, I told you I can get it here in two weeks. Well, two weeks for everything. Ain't this just a geographical <laughs> oddity? Uh, the other one is when they they're cornered by the cops, and four times in a row, I believe, two very loudly, twice quietly in the background. Damn, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> Damn, we're in a tight spot. And then you could just hear him arguing in the background. Damn, we're in a tight spot. Another so good. One, another one that I really love is uh, Stephen Root. Really, really oh, yes. very simple thing playing the blind studio engineer. When he goes at the end of uh, the song. <laughs> oh, boy, that's a mighty fine a picking and a singing. Yeah. Oh, man. It. Again, very well picked. Very, very good choice, Nathan, because much like... Big Lebowski, it has a lot of, like Eric said, lines that aren't lines, but they are lines. They're spiritual sequels right there. 
I'll yeah, say. I, I just think the Coen brothers are, they just do awesome stuff. And I, mean, I didn't like Hail Caesar that much. That's their most recent movie. But I'm excited to see what they can do with this Matt Damon, Oscar Isaac movie they're making right now. This uh, crime mystery thing. I think it'll be awesome. So keep an eye out for that. It's called Suburbicon. And uh, that's, I think, our movie club for this week. All right. So then we Did have... Just plug time? Plug time. All right. So uh, plugs for us. Uh, if you do if, your plug and I'll do mine. If you know why field goals blocked us, please... <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, please but, contact Robert Stack at Unsolved you can, Mysteries. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on TuneIn. You can find us on iTunes. I know this stuff sounds dumb, but if you could like us on those things and give us five stars, it is the number one thing that helps us grow as a podcast and get more people listening. Because I'm really proud of the product we make, and I think that it's worth sharing. So I hope you do, too. That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, on Twitter, hit that retweet button. Hit the likes button. Um, On Facebook, go ahead and throw a like on there. Just get a little more traffic. We'll keep the conversation going. The thing is, we are slowly gaining traction now. It's it, the switching to a new feed was maybe not the best idea we ever had, but we're starting to build momentum again. And I think that really every every little thing counts. Um, also, uh, watch Atlanta on FX. That's it. <laughs> For uh, producer Nate, Kevin Garber, executive producer Brett Hancock, I'm your host Eric Ronbeck. Have a great weekend, and uh, even though it's bye week, go Hawks. Arietta. <laughs>